11 to 14 are just going out to their, uh, their work. So we pray God will bless them and be with them as they go. And it will go well for them. My name's Paul, I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church Hastings. It's uh, great to be communicating what the Bible says this morning. If you, if you are involved in getting together all those bouquets of daffodils, could you stand up please? And they say, angels did it. Anne and Jackie, was it Anne and Jackie, just Anne and Jackie? Can we give them a round of applause because they work really hard. Thank you very much. I think there are over 200 bouquets to be made, so I think they had a very easy start to Mother's Day. So, thank you very much for, for that. Um, uh, just to say it again, thank you very much for um, the amazing gift day that we had last week. Uh, your ge- generosity was, was quite overwhelming, to be honest, and uh, a real, real blessing to us. Just so you know, we're now with, on the back of the gift day, looking to um, move forward uh, with all the plans and changes we were looking at with regard to moving the auditorium through 90 degrees. So um, I'll be meeting with uh, Simon Clark quite soon, who oversees our PA and, PA and AV, to discuss those changes. And we've spoken to the uh, architects as well and given them the go-ahead to start firming up on the plans and things like that. So we're looking to take these things forward now. Um, at a healthy, healthy pace. Um, just to let you know as well, I was at Lead, um, Lead Elders Coaching this week up at Catford, which was uh, very interesting. It's four two-day blocks up in Catford, and the idea is there's about a dozen of us in, um, dozen, dozen men are in similar situation really to, to, to the one I find myself in here, and the idea is that they coach us, so we get better at what we're doing, which isn't a bad thing, I guess. Um, I found it very interesting and uh, provoking and challenging. But at Catford, and I think I've mentioned it to some of you, they've just started a fresh um, building project. This is their third one in 15 years. Over the last 15 years, they've grown from about 200 up to gathering over 1,000 now, Sunday by Sunday. And God seems to very much be with them. And they felt God very much lead them towards um, buying a building in around the Catford area and the cost of the building is three and a half million pounds. They've just had um, an offer. They've had an offer accepted. They're waiting to exchange contracts. Um, they've been uh, they've been looking to raise six hundred thousand pounds in four months. They're up to four hundred thousand. And so God is calling them to to big things. They already have three services on a Sunday. Um, they're not looking to close them and move to the new auditorium. They're just going to add that one in. So when it's done, they're looking to meet four times on a Sunday and they're possibly thinking of a campus out, which would be a fifth meeting on a Sunday. I think they asked their preachers to preach four times on a Sunday. So I I feel quite faint just at the thought of it at the moment. But it's good to hear what God is doing elsewhere. And I think the thing I came away with from that that time is, I, I just came away thinking how good God has been to us. I felt as I heard all the different things going on, I thought, everything is stacked in our favour. It is, here in Hastings. When I think of the foundations that have been laid, you know, the church's love, you know, your love for the Bible, 
your generosity in giving, your commitment to one another and serving. And I hear of different situations that I find other leaders in. I think, God, God, aren't we blessed here in Hastings? And then I look at this facility. Most people that I was talking to, the problem that they have is that they're maybe a similar size to us, but they are crammed in like sardines into a tin. And they're, they're looking to, they're looking to um, find bigger premises or different ways of doing meetings um, because God has blessed them. Well, in, in some ways I was thinking, oh God, how you've blessed us. Look at this facility, which is pretty much debt-free. You know, not only have we got a facility to move, we've got, we've got a jolly meadow out the back. We're opposite the hospital with so many people going to and fro every day. I was just thinking, God has been good to us. It's stacked up in our favour for things to go well. It's stacked up for things to prosper and for us to grow and for God, for us to have an increasing impact in our town. I know we've had a season where we haven't grown numerically, but i just got a sense, God, you know, we're going to have to try really hard not to, not to do well, I think, because God, you know, God's been so good to us. And uh, just as I'm sharing that, I, I pray, God, for fresh faith for us as a church. Lord, I pray for fresh faith. Lord, I thank you. You have been amazingly good to us over 35, 36 years. Lord, I thank you. You have got much more for us in the future. And I know that because Hastings needs big, vibrant churches. It does. Lord, I pray for faith to come right now that we would be strengthened in our faith, being fully persuaded that God has the power to do everything that he has promised. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray as I communicate your word today, would you anoint me with your Holy Spirit? I pray it would be a word in season that in itself would bring faith and expectation. I thank you, you're about a great work in Hastings. I thank you, Lord, that you have a passion to see souls saved. That you have a passion to see families put back together. That you see a passion to see the oppressed set free. Lord, I thank you that with your grace and with your power, we are completely able to do all of those things. Because you are with us. And you are a mighty, mighty God. Praise your name. Amen. I'm in a quandary this morning because I've got something I've prepared and then I felt as we were worshipping God that um, it might be right just to highlight um, something different out of it. And the problem is I'm still in the quandary right now. What we're looking at today, and I... I I mean, an even bigger quandary because I postponed it last week anyway. (laughs) What we're supposed to be looking at this morning is that God uses people like Barnabas. It's the last in our series, series that we've been sort of going through um, over seven or eight weeks. We've had a bit of a break recently for various uh, reasons, and this is the last one in the series. And hopefully, as we've been communicating about this man, Barnabas, and looking at the whole area of encouragement, you'll have seen Barnabas growing before your eyes. 
as a man that first appears, um, and, and the reason he's mentioned is because he's a generous man. He gives generously, financially to the church, and then we see how God uses him to introduce a guy called Saul to the church at Jerusalem. And then, over time, we also find that then the church leaders at Jerusalem send him up to a place called Antioch, and that's a two-week journey. And the reason he's sent is because they've heard rumour God may be doing something in Antioch. And I don't know why they didn't go themselves, they're probably quite bright with that, but they said, hey, would you go for us and see, is this rumour we're hearing, is there something genuinely on the ground in Antioch? Is God really moving like these rumours that we're hearing? And there wasn't, there wasn't any CDs to listen to. You know, I listen to the church, see what's going on, I listen to the CD, or I'll check out Antioch's website, or I'll give them a call on the phone. The only way you can find out what's going on in Antioch is that you get on your donkey, I guess, and you go on a two-week ride up to Antioch to find out what's going on. But Barnabas was a man who was available to God. He was available to the church and he said, yeah, I'll go and check it out. And we find that much grace was on Barnabas when he got there and much grace was on the church as well. And my, my aim for this morning is really to say, look, God used a person like Barnabas, but God also has purpose for us as well. God works through normal, frail, but gracious people like Barnabas. Well, actually, God works through normal, frail, but gracious people just like you. Just like you. We won't all do the things that Barnabas did, but God has got purpose and plans for every single one of us here today. He has. You're not here by accident. You're not just here to make up the numbers. You're not here just to add a bit of heat to our auditorium so we're not all so cold. I can't remember what it was. I heard a figure that each human body creates this much heat. So uh, it was to, I think it was just to encourage me that, you know, it's good people just coming along and gathering because if nothing else, we're heating the auditorium. But, but, but there's a purpose and there's a plan for us, each, every single one of you. God's got a purpose and plan for our lives just like he had for Barnabas. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please? This morning I've decided we're just going to look at the foundations of why we can be confident that God has got a purpose in our lives. Um, sorry if, with the AV. The title, the title slide's very nice. So if you've got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, we start at verse 1 and we'll read the first um, 10 verses. And it's linked into this whole area of purpose. God has got a purpose for your lives. But this also, I think, links in with the worship and what we've been enjoying in the worship and the truth that was contained there. This is what it says. As for you, as for me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. This is a description, this is an outline that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus to describe those who are outside of Christ, those who have not put their trust, not put their hope in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And we'll unpick this a little bit in a moment. Then it goes on. Then it goes on and it says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God did not leave us in that state. God intervened and the basis for his intervention is the fact he has a great love for us. He has a great love for his people. But it's not just just saved us. But it goes on, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable (coughs) riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you know that God has riches of grace that are incomparable for you? They can't be compared with anything else. You can try and describe the riches of his grace, but it'll always come up short. It will never be, it will never get the full extent, the full magnitude of all of his mercy and all of his love and all of his grace that he has poured upon you. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Do you hear that? You are God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece. You're his work of art. He grabbed hold of you, and I don't know how it works, I'm not... But he grabbed hold of you and he shaped you, both in how you look, but your character, your giftings, your talents, you are his masterpiece. Because he's got a purpose for your life. Because he's got plans for your life. Let me unpick just some of these verses here. And what I'd love to do at the end is that we're going to come back and worship God. If we're going to grasp the full meaning of verse 10 that I was just reading about us being God's workmanship, I think we need to understand the first four verses that I just read out. And uh, I'm just going to labour those a little bit because I want you to see the difference There's a difference between those first four verses and what follows on. And if we grasp those first four verses, it will have an impact on how we view ourselves now and our lives now. There will be an overflow. So Paul describes us before God intervened in our lives. And the first thing that Paul says is he says, you were dead. You were dead in your sin. 
What does that mean? That means that there wasn't anything within you that could respond to God. Sometimes we can think, I responded to God at one point or other in my life. I put my hand up in a meeting, and and you did, I'm sure. But actually, you were dead in your sin. It was God's sovereign grace that swept in upon you and even enabled you to raise your hand, even open your eyes that you could see him. You were dead in it. Sin, if you imagine sin is, well, you don't have to imagine sin is spelled S-I-N, it is spelled S-I-N, with the I in the centre. And in a sense, that I, the me part, I will do it my way, that is in the essence of what sin is. I'm going to live for myself, I'm going to go my own way. We were, we were, all of us, there was none of us better or none of us worse, we were all dead in our sin. Far from God. Another verse in the Bible says we were without God and without hope in the world. We lived in it. In verse 2 it says that we followed the ways of this world. I guess in some ways we were just swept along with the current of how this world went. If the world says this is the way to go, popular media, TV, newspapers, magazines, radio, that sort of thing, we would just probably go with the flow because we were, just, we were in the ways of this world. And at the end of verse 2 it says, we were disobedient. Anyone hazard a guess as to who we were disobedient to? Anyone fancy shouting it out? Yeah, we're disobedient to God. So before we came to know God, we lived a life of disobedience to him. I, me in the centre. I'm going to do it my way. I don't need your help, God. Whether it's, whether it's a sort of a self-righteousness, I'm pretty good in myself and I can do it my own way, or whether it's just a, 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 an open rebellion of I'm just, I don't care, I'm, I'm just going to live selfishly, I'm going to do it my own way, I'm going to live to satisfy my own needs. Either way, either way we lived in rebellion against God. We followed, verse 3 it says this, we followed its desires and thought. We followed our desires and our own thoughts. And I've, I've just written these words down here, I'll do it my way. That is the essence of our lives before we came to know Christ. I'll do it my way. And the result of that, and it's quite frightening, well it's actually it's very frightening, The result of that in verse 3, it says this, Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. In our very nature, we were objects of wrath. What does that mean? That means in our nature, in our being without God, we are objects that God will pour out his judgment upon. His just, righteous judgment will be poured out upon us and we will pay the price. Why? Because we've said, I will do it my way. I will do it my way. We're without hope and without God. That, that 
if you're not familiar with these things, and maybe this is one of your first times here, you're thinking, that sounds, that sounds very harsh. That sounds very hard. How, how could you sing such love songs to God earlier if God is like that? Because the God we worship is a God who is perfect in all of his ways. But it says in verse 4, and this is the turning point, but because of his great love for us. Because God loves us with such passion and with such zeal, he hasn't left us in that situation. He hasn't just left us in that position, he's intervened to change history. He's intervened to change our lives. He's come down and said, you can't sort out the mess that you are in, but I can sort it out. And the only way I can sort it out is by sending my son, Jesus Christ, to stand in your place so that my wrath and my righteous judgment, you deserve that punishment, can be poured out on my son and you can be absolutely free. The gospel is scandalous because we do not get what we deserve. Christ has paid the price. And the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ says is, we can accept it then as a free gift. It's free to us, but it costs Christ everything. That is the gospel that we believe. The gospel is that we were in the pits of our sin, unable to save ourselves. We were in an absolute state without God's help, whether it's within self, with self-righteousness. I'm so much better than myself. In some ways, that's the worst of sin. Or whether it's an ugliness and a pain. But we needed God's help. We needed his intervention. We needed him to break in. And he did so because he loves you. And then he goes to unpack these verses. Paul does, right, into the church at Ephesus. He says, it's by grace you've been saved. This is not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, so that no one can boast. And then what does he say? He says, because you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You see, before you became a Christian, you just lived for yourself. You lived your own way, you did what you want. But then God broke in and he intervened in your life and you gave your life to him. You thought you were just putting your hand up. Actually, you weren't. You were giving over all of yourself to God. And suddenly now, it's not what you want anymore that is the deciding factor of how your life is lived because you're Christ's workmanship. You've been recreated in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Can you see there's a change? Before you became a Christian, yeah, you lived for yourself. And the end result of it was judgment and the wrath of God. But now you have been recreated in Christ. And he says, Santino, you are my workmanship. Graham and Jane, you are my workmanship. Chris and Anna, you are my workmanship. Richard and Barbara, you are my workmanship. I have recreated you because I have purpose for you. It would be scandalous if you accept Christ and you enjoy all the benefits of his wonderful salvation, but then carry on messing around with the same sin-sick life that you had before. The cost is big, actually, on us. We didn't know it at the time, but it will cost you everything to follow Jesus Christ. And he'll accept nothing else, because he's given himself for you. 
You as individuals have purpose marked all over you. You've got God's plans marked all over you. Can you see? In some ways you've got no choice. He's, he's, he's bought you at a great price. A great price. Then, then I think it goes on to say, therefore honour Christ with your bodies. Last week, you stepped out in God's purpose and gave generously. And I know for many of you, the things that I'm saying right now aren't new things. They're things that you, you've, you've been aware of. But I want to prompt you again. Are you living for the purposes of God? Have you been sidetracked with the busyness of life? Has he got the whole of your heart? Or do you know? You know there's compromise. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And do you know what the freedom is? It's freedom to pursue him. It's freedom to chase after him with wholeheartedness and vigour and determination. It's not that we're perfect or we get everything right, but in our hearts we've nailed the point, Lord, you are, you are Lord of my life and I'm living for you. With Barnabas, that's what he did. I believe when Barnabas moved over from Cyprus to Jerusalem, when he sold that piece of property and just laid all the money at the apostles' feet, I think in a sense what he was saying is, Lord, I'm yours. I'm sold out for you. And we see that throughout the rest of his life. He kept on making decisions that in the moment would probably have been very difficult for him to make, but he was following God. He says, you've got first place in my heart. Therefore, nothing, nothing is too much for you, Lord Jesus. God has a purpose for you as individuals. God's got purpose for us as a church. He's called us. We are his body. We have a purpose to fulfil in Hastings and in Bex Hill and in 1066 country, as they like to call it. To reflect him. To see his name glorified. To see people who yet don't know. They, they haven't been given the choice that you have been given. They may not know the gospel that you have understood and accepted. They, they just don't know. There's no vibrant community just like us where they are. They don't know. There are streets and whole segments of our town that have no idea about the gospel or the church. There was a look of shock as I handed flyers out and on Saturday. I thought it was about window cleaning or getting a job, you know, earning £100 an hour or something. That's, what, a church? So much of Hastings knows nothing of this great grace that we enjoy. We've got a purpose. We've got things to fulfil in our town. Just as Barnabas, if we'd read the passage which we didn't read, we heard that Barnabas and Saul were set apart for the work God had already um, uh, uh, given to them, which was to see new churches set up. Well, we've, we've been given a work to do. It's to see as many people born again as possible and discipled. To see as many lives transformed and families put right. It's to see as many come to know him and taught and in a sense, yes, to see as many going to heaven. Why? Because God loves them. But he said, hey, King's Church Hastings, predominantly how will I work through, through in Hastings? How will I work in Hastings? I'll work through local churches, just like you, and like St. Helens, and St. Matthew's, and Halton Baptist, 
But we've got a part to play. We are saved with purpose. Jesus didn't come and die for us just so we could, hey, carry on as we were before. No, it's for radical change. It's complete commitment. The first, I think some of the first recorded words that Jesus said is what? Come, follow me. And that challenge is still the same today. He's not, he's not if I could say it with due respect, he's not, he's not that interested in a momentary decision. He's looking for a life long-term commitment to following him. Through good times and through difficult times as well. says in verse 10, for you are God's workmanship. Do you know that? You're his workmanship. For some of you here today, they're the words that you need to hear. You are his workmanship. You are his work of art. You're not second best, you're not an afterthought, you weren't, you weren't made late on a Friday afternoon. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared. Before, before the earth was formed, he had purposes and plans for you. And hopefully that's not to come with a heaviness, but I want, I want, to give you, I want you to feel a real dignity and an honour that Jesus Christ would die for me, but he's also got things he wants me to do for him. I know, church, you have and you do pursue God with determination and vigour. I want to encourage you this morning to in a sense, recommit yourself to his purposes in your life. Are there areas in your life where you know there's compromise? You've just got to repent. You've got to get them right. And say, no, Lord, I want to find out what have you got for me today in this season? How can I see your name glorified? How can I see this church built strong? He's got purposes for you. Can I ask for the band to uh, come back up and... What I'd love to do is just to finish really our time together by worshipping God, because he is worthy. Let's stand on our feet and I'll, I'll just lead us through as the band get ready. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you. Barnabas is a man... who's a real example and provocation to us. A man who was uh, willing to travel great distances for you. A man who was willing to work hard for you, who I think really gave up everything to follow you. Lord, we say as a church, our desire is to pursue you. I pray, Holy Spirit, if there... If there are areas in our lives where we're holding out on you, or maybe even areas in our lives we've made, we've made commitments that are unwise. We've made commitments that 
are unhelpful to us. I pray would you highlight them to us. If you feel God is highlighting any areas where you know you just need to put things right, why don't you just in your own own uh, sort of way, just say you're sorry to God and tell him that you're going to change, you're going to make decisions. You're going to make decisions to uh, put that right. For others of you, it's... uh, just over the last two weeks where I've spoken about the corporate, the church together, that he has purposes for us as a church. For some of you, I believe the Holy Spirit will just be highlighting that and you've got a fresh excitement about the things of God and what God's got for us as a church here in Hastings. And uh, in your own way, just uh, this is an opportunity for you again. Just say, Lord, I'm in. Or as a couple, we're in. We want to see your name glorified in Hastings. We're passionate for our town to see good come to it and the gospel proclaimed. Lord, I thank you for dying for us. I thank you that you didn't hold anything back. And we, as a, we say as a church, Lord, it is our privilege to pursue you. It's our privilege to be on a journey for you, to fulfil your purposes in our lives and in Hastings. Lord, I thank you that we are God's workmanship. We're not an afterthought, we're we're not the end of the batch. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that we are your workmanship. We are a a chief of your creation. We are a masterpiece, Lord, for you. And that you delight in us. You are pleased with us. That your favour rests on us. Lord, I thank you for your sovereign grace sweeping in. Lord, we worship you, Lord God. Amen.